Welcome to SCG Church's podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. We also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. Thanks so much for listening. Everybody, we are so glad that you're here at Seacoast. If you could just do me a favor, just squint or smile at somebody next to you and welcome them into this place. And for everybody that's watching online, we just want to say a special hello and thank you for being with us. Why don't you stand up on your feet and worship a God that's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. We're going to sing how there's nothing like the presence of the Lord. Come on. Say Jesus. Jesus, there is nothing like your presence. I will sing of all your goodness when all my fears need to pray.
sing together. You're seated on the throne of mercy. Your glory shining bright for all to see. Oh God, I will praise you. Magnificent with grace unending. You rescue us with love that never
I know we've all been praying. I've been praying and I know you've been praying. And we want God to turn some stuff around in our lives. Amen. As we sing this song together, it says, turn it around. I'm praying God come. Turn this thing around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. I'm calling on the name hey, that changes everything. Yeah. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. God, turn it around. And all of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come.
turn it around. Oh yeah, turn it around. Mm-hmm. Gotta turn it around. Ooh, turn it around. Gotta turn it around. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, it's okay to give him praise. He's worthy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God that can turn things around. Not hard for you at all. Not difficult for you at all. Not unusual for you at all to turn things around. I know there's people here in this place today, maybe sickness, maybe money issues. I don't know what season that they're in. But God, whatever season you find us in, will you help us today and turn things around? We thank you for this place of worship. We thank you for this tent, and we thank you for this mighty church of God. Will you pour down your blessings on everything that we do here? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. We are so glad that you joined us for service tonight. It's so great to be here with you all. I have a few announcements. Um, I think we have a big holiday coming up next weekend in the church. Maybe like the best day ever. Yes. Um, So Easter is next weekend, and we have two services um, for you to join us at, one on Saturday at 5, and then one on Sunday at 10 a.m. That is different from 9. It's moving from 9 to 10. Um, So that service is at 10 a.m., and if you would like to join us, we would love for you to, and you can register online at scgchurch.org, and we would love for you to bring someone. So I know it's been a weird time, but we're outside, and people are going out more, and I don't think that's an excuse to not invite them to church. Um, They could drive in. They can just join us outside, sit wherever they'd like. And so we have some invitations if you want to grab some on your way out. Um, We'd love for you guys to invite some friends to come with you. Um, And then also, so that new service time on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Easter, moving forward, that service is going to stay at that time. So we are moving our 9 a.m. service to 10 a.m. to make our 1045 people a little bit more happy. Um, on Sundays. Um, And then also, as always, you have been so generous throughout this entire year, and we are so grateful. And so if you would like to continue to give, you could do that online, or you can do the black boxes on your way out in person. Um, And we are just very grateful for your generosity. And it is Palm Sunday, so we have one more song for you that Corey and Nick are going to do. So take a listen. We just want the presence of the Lord to come and be with us. All of these songs we keep singing All of this praise we keep bringing See when it's all said and done We just want you to come These hands we keep raising These prayers we keep praying See when it's all said just want you to come. This is our prayer, Lord. Let it fall. 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 We don't need. We're just longing for your presence, yeah. 
When it's all said and done We just want you to come
All right. Thank you, guys. Are we doing all right? Doing good? Yeah. All right. Uh, so um, Amy mentioned that of course, next weekend is Easter, and we have Good Friday, and so we want you guys to register for that and be a part of that. Um, Good Friday service, as you've heard, is inside, so we're very excited about that. It's going to be our first inside service, yes, in the last year, and uh, we are going by the, the, um, the CDC guidelines, and so we can only have about 50% full, I think is what they are, and so um, there is a limited capacity, so make sure you, you register for that, and if you're like, ah, I'm just not ready to be indoors with that many folks. Um, I get it. We're also going to have the lobby open as well, but you still got to register, okay? So you can uh, be a part of the service and, and watch what we're doing there. And uh, here's kind of an, another fun fact is we talked about moving the service to 10 o'clock, which we're doing right after starting on Easter and then after that. But on May 1st, we're actually going to move that service from the tent into the auditorium, okay? So yeah, so we're very excited about that. We've had, uh, we've had so many people uh, excited about going back inside, so we thought, okay, we're ready, we're still going to be safe, and we're still going to do all that stuff, but it's time for us to head back inside. So the first weekend of May, uh, we're going to be doing that at the 10 o'clock. So the tent um, will still be here for the Saturday night service, but we're going to be moving back inside for the, uh, for, the Saturday, or for the Sunday service. So you can still do either one, all right? So if you're still comfortable outside, you can do outside, and we're going to have inside available as well. Um, okay, so the, the discussion around here, not just here, but churches in general, has been and, um, how do we get people back to church? All right, so we understand that uh, a lot of people weren't comfortable and maybe still aren't comfortable, but we also know that there's a segment of uh, the church that just has gotten too comfortable being at home. They watch in, on their couch, and, uh, and, and that's a little bit uh, more convenient, but we want to encourage them to come back to church. And so if that's you and you're watching online, um, we want to encourage you to, to come back in person. And so we were trying to think of how can we encourage people um, this Easter to be here in person? And so I just, I wrote down some ideas, okay? I wrote down some slogans for maybe this year. We'll vote on it and we'll see which one we think might get people to be inspired to come back in person or maybe not. We'll see. Okay. Um, so Easter 2021, Jesus le left the grave so you can leave your house. No? Okay. All right. That's no. Okay. Um, Jesus came back. So should you? Tough crowd. I thought, okay. All right. All right, uh, what about a theme? We could make it uh, Easter 2021, Ollie Ollie Oxen Free. Some of you guys have been really good at hide and go seek this last year. Okay, um, how about this? Um, the tomb was empty, but your seat doesn't have to be. No, all right. Uh, if SUG had a milk carton, your picture would be on it. <laughs> all right. Uh, Easter, your vaccine from sin. No? All right. Uh, SCG, we're spreading the gospel, not COVID? No? All right. Uh, okay, a little politics for you on this one. Uh, a donkey or elephant won't fix this. Only the lamb can. <laughs> you see what I did there? Eww. All right. Um, Easter, because Purell, Purell can't purify your soul. All right. Easter, because no one should social distance from God. Okay, I got two that I was not supposed to do, and so I'm going to try to do a censored version of these because they were super inappropriate. I'll see how the first one goes, and then if it doesn't go well, I'm not doing the second one. Okay, uh, Lent is here, so get your ash in church. <laughs> I, uh, this may be my last time speaking here at Seacoast Grace. We'll see. 
Um, that one went actually surprisingly well. I feel like you guys really resonated with that one. I don't know what that means. Okay, this is my Palm Sunday one. Um, you're going to have to read between the lines because if I go over the line, for sure I'm going to get fired. Uh, so you're going to have to fill in the blank. Uh, Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem, so get yours here. Just let it simmer for a minute there and see if you can figure out what it wasn't donkey. I was, uh, I was going King James Version on that one. This Okay, anyway. All right. Um, so, you know, if you have any ideas um, of how we can get people back here, please let me, <laughs> let me know. And if you have any jobs available, let me know as well. Um, anyway, so we're, uh, we've been in this series, and this is actually the last week of our series called Masterclass. And Masterclass, we've been going through the book of Matthew. In five weeks, we're helping you master this book, and we've done a different thing. So on the weekend, we talk through a, a, a section of Matthew, and then during the week, we have this thing called Masterclass Debrief, and our pastors talk through that, and that's been amazing. And then we also have discussion questions that you talk about, and we have daily devos. And so you have been going through Matthew for five weeks now, and hopefully you're feeling like you got your arms around it at least a little bit. And if you're just joining us and you're like, I don't know anything about Matthew, here's just the really quick cliff notes. Is Matthew is a gospel. Uh, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the stories of Jesus' life and his death and his uh, resurrection. And uh, Matthew is thought to be one of Jesus' disciples. And he writes to a primarily Jewish audience. And his whole big idea is he wants to convince you that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so he is talking about all of these prophecies and all of these, um, he uses these, these, this phraseology that the uh, first century Jews would have resonated with. And so he is trying to convince us this is who Jesus is. And um, right off the bat, Jesus comes onto the scene and he says that the kingdom of God is near. With his arrival, this thing called the kingdom of God, which a very rough definition would be a place in which God's will is done. So in the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God's kingdom is a place in which he rules over people's hearts and minds, and they pursue his will instead of their own will. And so Jesus comes and says, this kingdom is here, and it is with my arrival that it is coming to the earth, and I'm bringing the creation that has spun out of control back under my rulership, is I am coming, becoming king over creation. And he gives out these values. We see in the Sermon on the Mount, we see all these values and beliefs. He says, if you want to be a part of the kingdom, here's what it's going to look like. And they're so different than the values that we are used to. It's called the upside down kingdom because he takes everything that we think we know and he turns them upside down. And he says, if you want to be powerful, you're actually going to have to be weak. And Jesus portrays all of these values throughout his ministry and he is the embodiment of them. And he says, this is what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God here and now. And so he gives us an invitation. He says, follow me, become my disciple, become a part of the kingdom of God. Now, last week, Doyle talked through a, a, a kind of a pivotal point in Jesus' ministry, and it's in Matthew 16. And I just want to give you a couple quick reviews on that to make sure that everyone's on the same page. So last week in Matthew 16, there is this moment where the disciples, they've been traveling around with Jesus for a while, and they've been witnessing his miracles and hearing his teachings and seeing the kind of authority that he has, and they've had this front row to Jesus. And he stops and he says, all right, you've seen what I can do. You've seen what I'm about. Who do you think that I am? Well, Peter blurts out this. In Matthew 6, 16, it says this, or 16, 16, it says this, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
So these are Jewish men. And he said, who do you think I am? And, he, and Peter blurts out, I think that you're the king of the universe. I think that you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. This is a huge deal. And this is the turning point, not only for the disciples, but for Jesus. Is because in this moment, everything is going to change. Now, Jesus right after this says, no, I want you to keep this on the down low. I don't want you to tell anybody about this, this insight that you've had that I am the Messiah. It's true, I am the Messiah, but I need you to not make a big deal out of it quite yet because I still have some work that I need to finish. And if you go tell everybody, we're going to have all this drama and I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. So keep this to yourself. And then when he says this, he begins to not only change the way that he he portrays himself publicly, or at least accepts the, the portrayal of him, but he also begins to take a turn towards Jerusalem. And so Jesus has been avoiding Jerusalem this whole time because he knows if he enters into Jerusalem, especially with all the things that are being said about him, there is going to be some serious drama. And so he has been avoiding it. But now, after this confession of Peter, he begins to set his face towards Jerusalem and there. And as he is heading there, he comes across a couple of men who are blind. And they, uh, they hear him coming. They know that it's Jesus. They've heard about him. And so they yell this out. They yell, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, to you and I, this isn't maybe a big deal. This title doesn't make, mean a whole lot. But what they're saying here is, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the king of the universe. And usually Jesus would kind of be like, hey, let, you know, let's keep that between me and you. But this is the first time in which he publicly says, yeah, you're right. I am the son of David. How can I help you? What can I do for you? See, now he is publicly acknowledging what the, the, the people had kind of thought all along, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so as he's heading into Jerusalem, um, he is, uh, he's kind of heading into this, this crisis moment. See, he's admitted that he's the disciple. He's heading into Jerusalem. The disciples know what's going on. And you've got to imagine in their mind, they're thinking, okay, this is going to be awesome. All right, like we have been hanging out with the Messiah. He's going to go in there. And we all know that if he heads in Jerusalem, it's going down. It is on like Donkey Kong. He is going to go in and he's going to claim that he's the king and he's going to take over. And we're going to start this revolution and we get to be a part of it. We're going to be like a part of his cabinet. And so as they're heading into Jerusalem, they're probably pretty amped. But Jesus keeps making these predictions that somehow he's going to have to suffer and die, which makes absolutely no sense. And him and Peter get into this dispute about it, which we talked about last week, and which he's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen, Jesus. And Jesus says, you're Satan. And then they have this, you know, okay, it's a mess. But as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, it is now putting everything um, kind of to a head. Is he either has to ride into Jerusalem and he has to triumph as king, or he's going to be crushed by the religious leaders. And so that's where all of this is heading. Now I want you to like kind of get the mood of where this, so if we're in the movie, this is kind of like, all right, we're heading into battle. By the way, a lot of my illustrations are about fighting today. I, I think it's, whatever, I think it, it works. So, He's heading into Jerusalem. He's going to go and he's going to claim that he is the king and he's going to take his throne. So we'll jump in. Matthew 21, 1 says this. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. So it's kind of a weird thing. It, it, this is one of those things where you skip over the, these passages because there's just a lot of what feels like unnecessary detail. 
Like, why would Matthew take up so much space explaining such a simple thing, like go and get this colt and bring the colt to me? I think we got to dig a little bit deeper because I think Matthew is trying to tell us something here. When you first read this, you kind of go, okay, wait a minute. Now, how did Jesus know that the cult was going to be there? Maybe this is like revealing his supernatural power. He has this insight and this knowledge. And, and then you start to think, wait a minute, if he told them to go and get that and no one knows about it, does that mean that he's telling them to go steal this thing? That doesn't seem right. And so what's happening here? Well, I think if we pull back a little bit, we realize that um, the disciples, when they're going into Bethpage to get him a donkey, they're very familiar with this village. Because if you go back to the story a little bit, you know that there's two characters, Mary and Martha, good friends of Jesus. And they went and they would visit with him all the time. He would go and he would visit their house. And in fact, it was there that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he knew that village really, really well. He knew all the people in the village. He knew where all the animals were in the village. And the villagers knew him well. They had seen what he had done. They had seen his power and his authority. I mean, he raised somebody from the dead. And so they would have, uh, they would have known who this Jesus is and what he's come to do. And so when the disciples head into the village, he probably knew exactly where this colt was supposed to be. They knew the owner. He went and told the owner. The whole village would have heard about, oh, wow, Jesus wants this colt. Why? Because he's riding into Jerusalem. Oh, we know what that's about. So have you ever had this moment like when you were maybe in junior high or high school and somebody during lunch or during recess or whatever yells, fight? What is the immediate reaction that everybody does? They run towards where they think the fight is, right? They're just like, yes, this is going to be awesome, right? So everybody runs towards. That's kind of what's happening here is alarms are going off for these people going, wait a minute, Jesus wants what? He's going where with who? Okay, we got to go and check that out, which is going to become important in a moment. Uh, and, and it's a detail that we usually would skip over. So uh, verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So here Matthew is quoting a prophecy in Zechariah 9, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus, saying that the Messiah would come and that he would ride in on a donkey. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So what, what's happening here is as Jesus is riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, it's really a parody that's taking place. Is if you look back in history, when a king would ride into a city, either a city that he's conquering or a city that he's the, ki uh, the king over, he would ride in on a war horse. He would ride in with power and strength and there would be a parade and celebration. But what Jesus is doing is a parody of that. Because he's not riding in on a war horse like a king. He's riding in like a servant on a donkey. So let's see if we can put this in our context. Let's say that, um, let's say that we were at the Grammys. And we're at the red carpet. And I've never been before, but here's how I imagine it goes. Is a bunch of celebrities roll up in different kind of vehicles. They get out and they start walking the red carpet. And so there's probably some exotic cars that they drive up. And maybe it's like a, like a murdered out SUV that they're rolling in with a driver. Maybe they're in a limo or whatever. And let's imagine that all these celebrities are coming through and they're rolling up in these rides. And then this, this celebrity, the biggest star of the event comes and he is in a hoopty. This thing is barely making it to the red carpet. And he gets out and everybody's taking pictures like, what just took place here? Everybody else is rolling, but this guy, why? And he's not trying to make a joke out of it, but it's obviously a parody. He's obviously trying to make a point here. 
Well, that's what Jesus is doing. Is not only is he fulfilling the prophecy, but he's trying to make a point. And we're going to find out what that point is here in a moment. Continues on in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed him. Now notice, where are the crowds at? They're on the road leading into the city. They're following Jesus. And so they're not people who are in the city. They're people who were following Jesus because they had heard about what was taking place. Remember that whole scene where the, the alarm bells were going off because, oh, Jesus is going to do what? See, Jesus brought this crowd with him. If you're putting the pieces together, it's sort of like Jesus is, is making this whole event happen. Like, think about it. He arranged the donkey. He's arranged the crowd. Now he's arranged this, this extravagant triumphal entry, we tend to think of Jesus as riding in all just meek and mild and pastel colors on a donkey side saddle, and, and that's not what's taking place at all here, is Jesus has arranged this entire event. He didn't get surprised by it. It's like he came in, he's like, oh, shucks, you guys, don't make a big deal just for little old me, no. No, he wanted it to be a big deal. He wanted everybody to take notice because what he's doing here is he is making a point. He is trying to put this in everybody's face and he's saying, okay, now that I have declared that I publicly am the Messiah, now you got to do something about it. Now I'm forcing the issue. I'm making a big deal in, in the middle of Jerusalem. All the people are making a commotion. You can't ignore me any longer. He says, I am king. And I've come to claim my throne. Continues on. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus rides in. He makes this big deal. This is a pretty, uh, pretty grand entrance. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to force the issue. He continues to ramp it up because as he enters into the city, the next place that he goes is into the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the uh, benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So he goes into the temple. He sees all these people exchanging money. What they're really doing is they're ripping off the poor. And the, this, this temple is supposed to be a place in which the Gentiles can come. People who don't know the God of Israel, and they can, they can find out more about this God and, and how they can be a part of his plan for humanity, but instead they're getting ripped off. And so he gets angry, and he comes in, and he starts just throwing tables, rearranging furniture all over the place. And you go, whoa, 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 Jesus, who do you think you are? You can come in here, and you can do that? The only person that can rearrange furniture like that in somebody's house is the owner of the house. And so Jesus is not only insulting people, but he's making another big claim. When I come and I start flipping tables, it's because this is not just God's house. This is my house. I'm the owner. The owner has arrived, and I don't like what I'm seeing. So after this whole scene, Jesus leaves the city for the night, and he stays in a, a nearby village. And then the next day, he kind of picks up where he left off. He's heading back into the temple. And as he's heading into the temple, there's just this weird scene. Here's what happens. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. 
Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. What's co- what? When I read this, I just went, okay. Jesus, you're not yourself when you're hungry, okay? Like, you know those old, like, uh, Snickers commercials, you know, where they just freak out, and it's like, hey, man, you're not yourself when you're hungry, all right? You didn't have to curse that tree. It didn't have figs. I get it. Um, but, like, let's go get a snack somewhere else. But Jesus is, is making a point, and he's going to elaborate on this in a, in a moment. But what he's saying here is, he is he's calling out the, the hypocrites, the religious leaders of the day. And he's saying, outwardly, you're very religious. You're full of leaves, but you're not bearing any fruit. Your life doesn't have evidence that you know the, the God of Scripture that you have God uh, in, uh, active in your life. And we're going to see this because this is the thing that he continues to preach. <clears throat> so he goes into the temple and he begins to preach again. And as he's preaching, the religious leaders come and they confront him and they go, who do you think you are? Do you think you have the kind of authority to come in here and teach and then teach these things that you're teaching? And Jesus answers with two parables. And I won't go into the parables, but it's very clear that the parables are directed at the religious leaders and he's not saying nice things to them. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they get together and they go, okay, we can't have this. He's embarrassing us in front of all these people. He's undermining our authority. He's making a mockery of this whole thing. So we've got to entrap him. Let's come up with some questions that we think are going to stump him or at least make him look bad. And so they, they gather back together and they start peppering questions. All right, Jesus, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it doesn't work. He's much smarter than they are. And so he flips those questions back at him and ends up revealing their true heart. It ends up making them look bad in front of everybody. And Jesus has had enough, and so this turns ugly real quick. He says in Matthew 23, 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Now this is the good part, okay? But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Now, it continues on like this. In fact, he gives them what's called the seven woes, and it's directed at the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. I was trying to think of what this would look like. Um, like, I came up with a couple, maybe a couple illustrations. First one I came up with is, let's imagine that we invited a guest speaker here, and the guest speaker gets up here and goes, hey, I'm going to, blah, 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 okay, great. And the, yeah, um, so today I want to talk about hypocrisy. And um, I'm going to use Doyle and Cody as the example. Because they get up here and they teach, but bam, they're a mess outside of here. In fact, and then they start airing out like all this crazy stuff about us. I would go, what just happened? <laughs> uh, cut his mic. What's going on right now? Like this is, okay, have you ever been around somebody who is like airing somebody else's dirty laundry? All right, I'm going to go back to my uh, high school days again, because this used to happen, and this was like once or twice a year, but probably the best day of the year, is one high school girl would get all fired up at another high school girl, and then the confrontation would happen like at lunch where there's hundreds and hundreds of high schoolers, and they would walk up and start, and then one would start airing out the dirty laundry of the other one, and everybody's just like, okay, oh my, you know, like that's, that's kind of what's taking place here, is Jesus is just airing out their dirty laundry. He's calling them to the floor. He's saying, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. And when he's all finished with this, kind of imagine like a mic drop moment. It's pretty gangster. He heads out the door, and he's like, all right. Turns to his disciples. See what I just did there? Uh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, well, I just tore them apart. 
In fact, I just tore this whole place apart. But I didn't just do it verbally. There is going to be a day in the near future in which it's going to physically happen. Here's what he says. As he looks up at this giant, magnificent, beautiful building, he says, Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be overthrown. And what happens is, just a couple decades later, in 70 AD, this prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus is already dead and gone. The Gospels have already been written. And there's a conflict. And Rome ends up burning down the temple. And as this temple is burning, the gold inside begins to melt. And it begins to melt into the cracks of all of the stones of the temple. And when kind of the dust settles, people realize, oh, there's gold. And so they start taking every single stone, one by one by one, to try to dig out the gold in between the cracks. And guess what? Every stone was overturned, just like he had predicted. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the, uh, the coming of the end of the age? And this question from the disciples kicks off what's called the Olivet D Discourse. And in this discourse, this is the final discourse or, or sermon from Jesus, and he starts to talk about the day that he is going to return, when his reign uh, will, will be completed, when he will come back and judge humanity. And he gives some pretty clear and a little bit scary parables. He says there's going to be two different groups, and I'm going to separate them. You're going to have the believers and the unbelievers, and I'm going to condemn and judge the unbelievers. And then he gives a few more parables, encouraging his disciples to remain faithful, to continue to be good stewards, to spread this gospel message until he returns. Now, I want to make just a couple observations really quick about this passage or about this, this section. And I actually, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll totally admit it, I'm going to steal them from one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller, because I heard him talk about this years ago, and I thought, yep, that, that totally makes sense. So here's the three observations. First one is this, is Jesus is a confrontational king. Popular conception is that Jesus is meek and mild and just wants to be your friend. It's partly true, but Jesus is also incredibly confrontational. As we see throughout this entire section that Jesus is forcing the issue, that he does not want you to simply like him. He, in fact, doesn't even leave that as an option. He says you will either king me or kill me. I will not allow you to like me. He puts us in a corner, and he does this on purpose. He says, I'm going to make these huge claims about myself. I'm going to say that I'm the king of the universe, that one day I'm going to come back and judge humanity. And so you can't simply like me, think that I'm a good guy, that I'm a moral teacher. No, no, no. I don't leave that door open. You're either going to have to kill me because I'm a crazy person or king me because I am the Messiah. But I will not allow you to be somewhere in between. He demands that we make a choice. A lot of people want Jesus to be a, a counselor or a teacher or some kind of spiritual partner. Or, but he says, I'm not going to be any of those things unless I am king. I can be all of those things, but in order for me to be any of those things, you have to king me first. You can't just simply like me. Jesus is also a counterintuitive king. When Jesus rides into the city and the, the crowds are praising him, he's taking the position as a king. He's making this claim. But then when he rides in on a donkey, he's taking the position of a servant. 
And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. He takes these things that we think are, are opposites, mutually exclusive, and he somehow embodies both of them. He, he takes things like power and weakness or majesty and meekness or humility and confidence, and he puts them together. He embodies them in one person. And so he's humble because he'll hang out with anybody, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the outcasts, and he's full of compassion for them, and he's gentle and loving and caring, and yet he's, in, he's, he's not modest. He's confident. He knows who he is. He makes these claims that nobody else in human history could make without being called crazy. He's a counterintuitive king, and I, I think that this makes sense because as we hear throughout the gospel of Matthew that Jesus is bringing this upside-down kingdom— that is completely different than all the kingdoms that we're used to of the world. That God's kingdom is the, the, the reversal of all of those values. It would make sense that the king of that kingdom would be different than any other king that we've known. That he would come and he would be the upside down king of the upside down kingdom. And the reason why is because this is our, at its core the gospel message. See, sin is servants putting themselves in the place of the king. That's what sin is. Sin is us, servants, putting ourselves in the place of the king, saying, I want to be the ultimate authority. I don't want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to be a part of my little kingdom. I don't want to bow down. I want to rule. I don't want to have to submit. I want to conquer. I don't want it to be your will. I want it to be my will. And so sin is the servant putting themselves in place of the king, but salvation is the reversal. It is the king putting himself in the place of the servant. The king of the universe comes humbly and submits himself as a servant so that we could be saved. See, salvation is us admitting that we cannot save ourselves through strength, but only through weakness. See, all other religions of the world, they say you need to save yourself. You need to clean up your life. You need to do better. You need to earn your way into heaven. It's going to be through, through your strength and through, through your discipline that you're going to please God and you're eventually going to get eternal life. Christianity comes and Jesus says, nope, it's actually the opposite. It's only going to be salvation through admitting your weakness, that you cannot do this, that you, you cannot earn your way, that it's only through accepting my gift, this grace, that you will be saved. The way that salvation comes is through weakness. Jesus is the coming king. In verse 5 it says this, behold, your king is coming to you. Notice it's in the present tense here, so it doesn't say that the king has come or the king will come. It says that the king is coming. It represents this idea that the king is in the process of becoming king over all. That, that he is the king, and yet he's still becoming the king. That he has begun to take the world back under his rulership. That his kingdom is here, and he's king over, and yet it is not fully complete yet. That he is bringing the kingdom back under his rule, one person at a time. One person at a time. People who willingly submit to him and say, I want you to be the king of my life. I want to live as a part of your kingdom. I don't want to have to rule my own. And so he is the king here and now, and yet the kingdom is not fully. It's not yet. It's still in the process. One day Jesus says that he is going to come back and that his kingship will be absolute and then when that happens, that everything will be transformed, that he will put things back to right, that the world that is full of death and decay and sadness will be turned upside down the way that it was meant to be and that he will be the ultimate authority. 
But he says, right now we live in this place in which we get to choose which kingdom will we be a part of. Whom will you serve? Will it be your kingdom or will it be his? And the choice that we make here will echo through eternity. He says, if you choose to be in my kingdom, then that's where you will be for eternity. You will be a, a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. But if you choose to be your own king in your own kingdom, then that will echo through eternity. And right now, in this time in which the kingdom is still coming, you get to choose whom you're going to serve. Now, uh, this wasn't in, in uh, any of the Tim Keller books or anything. This one's kind of my own, and I want to add to it because of the week that we're in right now, Holy Week. Jesus is not only the confrontational king and the counterintuitive king and the coming king, but we're going to see this week that he is the crucified king. That right after this, we pick up the story. In Matthew, uh, the next chapter says this, in 26, When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. See, it's all heading towards this final destination that Jesus will become the crucified king. And it's here, in this crucifixion, that we now have entrance into the kingdom. But we're going to pick up the rest of that story at Good Friday. Let's pray. Lord God, we just, uh, we thank you for this week, Holy Week. And as we enter into it, um, we just pray that whatever the, whatever the distractions that are taking place in our own lives and, and, uh, and the things that are calling for our attention, that we would focus our mind and our hearts, especially this week, on you. As we think about the kind of king that you are, one that confronts us with the truth that you are the Messiah, one that is counterintuitive because it is so different than everything else we've experienced, one that is coming and continues to come into our lives and into the world, Lord God, and one that is heading towards the cross as the crucified king. We just pray, Lord that we would continue to bow down and realize that it's not through our strength, but it is through weakness. It is not through our power and strength, but it is through our submission to you, allowing you to become the king over all, that you change everything. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Will you guys stand with me? Thank you guys so much for being here this week. And it is going to be a great week uh, this week, especially as we head to Good Friday. And I think this one's going to be a little bit more special because we're going to get to do it together inside. So make sure you are here and you're a part of that. And then, of course, come and celebrate Easter with us. All right? Have a great week. God bless, guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live outdoor services underneath our tent at Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. You can always join us online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.